So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Okay, this is the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this time and this word. And, you know, I do really pray that this series, as we go through the book of Acts, it'll be uh, really formative for our church because uh, it talks about uh, the continuing work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and particularly how uh, it um, it created and grew the church. And uh, I think when we are at our best, uh, our hearts um, long for a uh, greater mission. Uh, our hearts long for people to come and to uh, know Jesus. Uh, our hearts long for people to be transformed and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts is a reminder that you are indeed one of power, and so I pray that throughout this entire series, you would remind us of your power and uh, the work of the Spirit that continues to this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as I said, we are starting this new series uh, through the book of Acts, and um, <coughs> the book of Acts, if, you, if you're not aware, is just, it's a short, shortened version of the title, The Acts of the Apostles. Uh, so that's what the, uh, the title is in the Greek. And basically, the book of Acts is about what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. And you may know, uh, even if you're not somebody who goes to church, even if you, you weren't somebody who uh, follows the Bible, I think you would still know this, but you would know that Jesus lived on earth because we celebrate that with a holiday. We have Christmas, and we celebrate the fact that Jesus incarnated and, to, and became a baby, right? Uh, you may know that Jesus died on the cross because we have a holiday for that as well. It's called Good Friday. You may know that Jesus was resurrected, raised from the dead, because we have a holiday for that as well, which is Easter. But we don't have a holiday for what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. So because of that, you may not be entirely familiar with with what happens after that. The book of Acts tells a story of what happens, and it's an incredible story. It's about the origins of the church, and it's something that I'm really looking forward to going through together, especially because um, I'm hoping that our church, Good News Church, will grow in our heart for mission, 
grow in our uh, conviction of the power of the Holy Spirit, and we would definitely be much more of an outwardly facing church, and I think that will help us uh, grow spiritually um, and you know, I, hopefully actually numerically as well. Now, if you didn't know, the book of Acts was written by uh, Luke, and in verse 1, when Luke tells Theophilus about the first book, he's actually referring to the gospel of Luke. So Luke is like uh, book 1, Acts is like book 2, and in the gospel of Luke, right, he talks about how he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the interesting word there is the word began because the implication is that in this second volume, Luke is going to talk about what Jesus continues to do even though he is no longer present in the body. If there is anything we can say about Jesus, I think we can say that there is much about him that was certainly unexpected. There were times when he touched a leper, which would have been unexpected. There were times when he healed on the Sabbath, which would have been unexpected. There were times he ate with sinners and tax collectors. There was times where he allowed a woman with the reputation of being a sinner to wash his feet uh, with her tears, right? Jesus, a lot of what Jesus did in his life was unexpected, especially when you think about it from a Jewish perspective. The Jewish people of Jesus' day, they thought that the Christ, which means the Messiah, they thought the Messiah that they were waiting for would come and restore political power to Israel and nobody expected the Messiah would end up dying upon a cross in the way that Jesus did. Nobody, whether Jew or Gentile, thought Jesus would ever even rise from the dead. That was also unexpected. And so if I were to title the sermon, I'd probably just title it unexpected, right? When we look at today's passage, there are things here too that we also find are unexpected. And some of the confusion that lies here uh, with respect to uh, the people around Jesus shows that they didn't really fully get or understand God's agenda when sending Jesus into this world. There's four things that are unexpected. There's an unexpected kingdom. Second, there's an unexpected command. Third, unexpected power. And fourth, unexpected results. So those will be our four points for today. And if I can do a decent job preaching this passage, I do think it'll set up some of the themes that we'll revisit as we go through the book of Acts. All right, first, the unexpected kingdom. Now, it says in verse 3 that between the time when, uh, of Jesus' resurrection and an ascension, so after Jesus was raised from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, okay, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So you have this period of time of like 40 days. And what Jesus is doing in those 40 days post-resurrection, pre-ascension, is he is speaking about the kingdom of God. And I would think Jesus was a pretty good teacher. And if you were going to spend uh, 40 days with the resurrected Jesus, you would think that you know the people who are learning under him would kind of, understand what's going on right and get with the program but then you read here in verse 6 and it says they asked him lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel that question reveals they don't understand at all they still don't get it and john stott uh who is this like pastor um scholar i guess he he wrote this commentary on acts and he says you know in that one sentence you see three errors by these disciples the phrase at this time shows that they misunderstood the timing of the kingdom. The word restore shows that they were expecting this political or territorial kingdom and therefore under misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. And the use of Israel shows that they were expecting a 
national kingdom, and they misunderstood the scope of the kingdom. But you see, the kingdom that Jesus was teaching about was not only unexpected, but it was far better than anybody could have imagined. Even though you don't see the kingdom, the word kingdom, uh, too often in the book of Acts, in fact, in our passage, it's one of the rare times you see it in the book of Acts, I think it's an important theme throughout this book. So Luke, he seems to sandwich the theme of the kingdom at the beginning of this book, which we just read in verse 3, but he also ends uh, the book of Acts by talking about how Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught that the Lord Jesus Christ, about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so the first thing we can say is, The kingdom advances when people come to know Jesus and they submit to his reign as the king. And the only way that happens is when the gospel is preached to the people and then because of the Holy Spirit, they're convicted in heart and people repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus, uh, their king, Jesus Christ. That's the first point. Second thing we can say uh, about the kingdom is it is not confined to one people or one nation. And I think that's a very important point. Um, That was one of the greatest misunderstandings regarding Jesus. If you read Luke 24, uh, he tells us these two men are walking on this road called Emmaus, and they're very sad. And why are they sad? Uh, They're sad because they hope that Jesus was the Christ. They hope Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And uh, when Jesus ended up dying on the cross... Their conclusion was, oh, this couldn't have been the Christ. This couldn't have been the Messiah. This entire movement around Jesus that we had so much hope in that he was going to come and restore Israel into a great nation. That movement is now ended, right? Because Jesus died on the cross, so they're sad. But Jesus, he didn't come to restore the nation of Israel. Uh, He came to bring the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is greater in scope than just one nation. It is meant to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. You see these concentric circles in that illustration book, right? <laughs> Judea, Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, right? And then to the ends of the earth. And that's the scope of the kingdom, which is why the church is called to be in mission. Because Jesus is not just for one particular nation. Jesus is no longer just for one particular people. But his gospel is meant for all peoples and all nations. Uh, So second, if we're saying that the scope of the kingdom is what leads to mission, then we're confronted with this very unexpected command in verse 4. It says, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. And that's really interesting because um, if the gospel is meant for people beyond Jerusalem and supposed to go to the ends of the earth, why would Jesus say, don't leave Jerusalem, at least yet? Uh, This is one of the few times where we can say Jesus did not want his people to be active in mission. Why? Very simply, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Uh, This actually tells us something important about the work of mission in the church, and that is this. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit. There's this uh, quote by uh, A.W. Tozer, and in the bulletin, I'm going to reflect on it in like future weeks, but... uh, I didn't write it down, but it, it goes, he says it to the effect of this. He says, you know, in the modern church, um, 90% of what the modern church does could probably be done without the Holy Spirit. And then he says, but if you look in the early church, 90% of what the early church did probably could not have been done without the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an interesting quote? Isn't that? His, his point is very simple, right? 
the church, we depend and rely upon the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we get distracted with like things that we can control and things that are in our power, right? And ultimately what that ends up being is a church that is incredibly weak in mission because mission doesn't depend upon us or our power, but ultimately it depends on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a sociologist named Rodney Stark, and a long time ago I read one of his books, and he, he writes about the rise of Christianity. And, you know, he's a sociologist, so he's trying to give, like, a sociological explanation for this phenomenon, for why Christianity exploded during this time. And the one thing I appreciated at, um, that he wrote at the beginning of this book is he acknowledges something very important. He says you can't really reduce the rise of Christianity to just purely material or social factors. And even though, because he's a sociologist, he's trying to understand human actions in human terms, uh, he knows it's not enough to really understand what is actually happening that will give a complete picture about the growth of Christianity in the early church. According to the Bible, the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit are the reason for this great explosive growth in Christianity. So I've said this before, but if we want to take uh, the work of mission seriously, right? We are a church located in New York City, which means... Right, we're on mission in New York City together. Uh, I don't think we can do it unless we have a deep conviction about the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, 90% of the things we can do, we can do church where we don't need the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we will be a powerless church because true power comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, Christians of other traditions, like, um, of, like charismatic traditions, um, they typically do have this deep conviction about the person power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I, I've always wondered if that's why charismatic churches uh, seem to be more effective globally uh, in terms of world mission. And I'm not saying that we in particular need to apply the work of the Spirit in the same way that other traditions do. But what I am saying is that at the base level, we do have to have this deep conviction about the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that God is at work through the Holy Spirit. And I think boldness and confidence uh, to be in mission and even encouragement when mission becomes difficult, I think ultimately is rooted in that conviction. Now, how will we know if we are underestimate or underemphasizing the importance of the Holy Spirit when it comes to like the ministries of the church? And I think it's actually very simple, right? Here's a practical test. Are we the type of people who would rather plan for something or are we the type of people who would rather pray for something? Uh, do we see the importance of something like worship and repentance and purity of heart? Or do we see greater importance in terms of like the action items we have and the, the strategies that we have? And let me be clear, I'm not trying to set up a false dichotomy and say like, uh, like it's either one or the other. Like both are of course definitely important, but still I would say the spiritual dimension is more central. And I think we will see that as we go through the book of Acts. And so what we learn from Jesus' unexpected command is mission cannot be, uh, it, cannot, it can't even begin, let alone be effective apart from the coming and the work of the Holy Spirit. But let me also make a small theological point. Uh, Jesus has an important role in the work of mission other than being the content of the gospel. So think about this. If you were one of Jesus' disciples, how would you feel knowing that Jesus was going to ascend into heaven? In other words, how would you feel knowing that the person that you followed, the per person that you're devoted to, would no longer be present bodily? 
Uh, I imagine you would be like, oh, what's going to happen to us, right? Or we're going to lose our leader. And you would feel maybe a little bit of anxiety, maybe some sadness, uh, especially, right, Jesus told them the mission's going to lie with them. So maybe you're like, oh, how are we going to be able to accomplish this without Jesus? But here's the interesting thing, because in a paradoxical way, it's only when Jesus ascends into heaven, it's only when he's less present with them bodily that he can be more present with them spiritually, right? There's that ironic paradox. So it doesn't mean that Jesus was less present when he ascended into heaven, but it actually means he is more present because of the person of the Holy Spirit. What other person could be more present when they are absent? Nobody can really claim that except for Jesus. And it also means that Jesus, he is in this position of authority because he's sitting at the right hand of God. And it's only because Jesus has authority, again, that the mission of the church can be effective at all. Let me put it this way. Even if his disciples were like the most skilled, most educated, most persuasive people, which they weren't, Jesus would still have told them not to depart Jerusalem because he had not yet ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. The exaltation of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit are, again, the only reason why the church can be effective in mission at all. Third, there's an unexpected power. Verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, One of the things that we have to make clear is that the nature of power uh, that Jesus is talking about is not political power or any kind of uh, territorial power or any kind of earthly kingdom power. Uh, The kind of power that Jesus is talking about is uh, a spiritual power. Uh, The kingdom of God doesn't expand by coercion, by force, by military, or anything like that. The kingdom of God grows by way of witness and testimony. That's why Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Now, I think this is an identity that we personally have to understand and embrace for a couple of reasons. First, uh, it does tell us you can't really force somebody to be in in the kingdom, right? Uh, It it just doesn't work that way. Um, Second, it tells us that the nature of power that comes, uh, it tells us something about the nature of the power that comes with the Holy Spirit. This is a kind of power that can bring healing, which we're going to see in the book of Acts. This is the kind of power that can really change and transform hearts, which ultimately change and transforms the person. The power of the Spirit can convict us of our sin and lead us into repentance. And I don't know if you ever know anybody that is like, uh, you know, has like really deep sin issues and struggles and like, uh, you know, the relationships are messed up and, Um, you're just like, oh man, that person will never change, right? I don't know if you ever have somebody in your life like that. Uh, I'm sure you probably know like five or ten people like that, (laughs) right? And we kind of think, oh, there is no power that's going to change them. But in the end, that's not true. There's there's actually always hope because God is the one who can change hearts, right? Now, it's a power that can be incredibly generous and that can make us incredibly generous and very sacrificial in terms of how we love others. And again, we're going to see the effects of that as we go through the book of Acts. It's a power that can lead us to cast down these false idols. It's a power that can bring restoration both to soul and to body. And so how does that happen? Well, by our testimony to who Jesus is and what he has done, by our witness. Uh, If you think about a witness in a legal context, what's the job of a witness? 
The job of a witness is simply to testify to what they have seen. <clears throat> it's not their job to argue the case. It's the attorney's job to argue the case and to convict people of what is true. But we are not the attorney in this case, and it's not our job to convict people about the truth of Jesus and the gospel. The Holy Spirit does that. We are just witnesses, and all we do is we testify to what we have seen and experienced. And it's the testimony that is empowered by the Holy Spirit that ultimately is what leads people into the kingdom of God. And finally, there's unexpected results. Uh, what if I were to tell you about a great movement, and what if I were to tell you that the two prominent leaders of that great movement are one, an uneducated common man named Peter who has this history of cowardice, and two, a very educated Pharisee named Saul who really hates Christians and wants to imprison and kill them. <laughs> uh, th these are the two prominent leaders that we see in the book of Acts. I was talking to someone whose um, job it is to uh, buy companies and like make them better, right? So it's kind of like in the investment area and they try to identify good companies and like, oh, if we invest it and make it into a better company, like, can we get returns? Like, that's kind of like, I think that's what Carl Icahn does. Uh, and what do they do? Well, they look at the data, they look at the spreadsheets, and they say, well, is this company generating good revenue, right? So it's like a, a lot of numbers. But you know what? It's not all about the numbers. It's not all about the data. Then they go in and they take into consideration, like, how are the people, right? They want to consider the quality of people. They want to say, oh, is this good management? Are these managers like very skilled? Is there a good culture here? Um, and they, they try to look at those things and then they take those things together and they say, should we invest in this company, right? Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> if you were an investor, would you invest in the early church? <laughs> would you invest in these, uh, these 12 or now I guess 11 because after Judas, right? Would you invest in these uh, 11 remaining disciples? Are they qualified people? Do they have this history of success? If you were to analyze the beginnings of the Christian movement, you'd probably say there is very little chance of growth. And yet, what happens? There's incredible growth. And how do you explain that? You can only explain that when you say, when Jesus ascended, he continued his ministry. He sent the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit came great power. Great power that expanded beyond Jerusalem, that expanded beyond the people, and reached all the way to the ends of the earth. And if you look at where Christianity is now, I know that it's like, right, there's a lot of bad things going on in Christianity, but just kind of take it as a whole. Uh, where Christianity is now, where we are now, we're not Jewish people, so we're, we're part of the end of the earth, right? I don't think anybody is Jewish here. Um, how the gospel reached us and maybe our, our ancestors, how the gospel will continue to reach following generations, when it began with this like, little tiny movement in Jerusalem, that's incredible. And how does that happen? By way of the Holy Spirit. So here's a challenge for us. We, uh, we live in like these like, very um like we look at our context and everything relative to our context and we look at things and we say ah like new york is so secular now people are not really interested in christianity there's so much negative press about like 
all these scandals happening in churches and like no, nobody wants to hear about Christianity. Nobody wants to hear about the gospel. Uh, people are past that. Right? We, we kind of think about these things. And yeah, on a human level, these things are true. But what I'm saying the book of Acts shows us is it's not all about what we see with our eyes of flesh. What I'm saying about the book of Acts is, hey, if the Holy Spirit was powerful and working during the early church, what is so different now? What is so different today? Nothing. It's the same spirit, the same power that we have access to. Uh, this gospel produced unexpected results because if you think about it, it's a very unexpected message. Uh, I know plenty of people think they understand Christianity. I don't know if you had like conversations with people and they're like, ah, I'm not interested in that stuff. And then if you ever follow up and ask them, well, like, what do you think Christianity is about? And what do they say? Ah, oh, it's about all these rules. They grew up in Catholic church. Like, oh, yeah, all they did was make me feel guilty. Uh, they told me I had to, like, uh, do X, Y, and Z in order to get into heaven, right? That's, that's what people popularly, popularly think about Christianity, which tells me they don't really understand the gospel, right? <laughs> it is an unexpected message because uh, most systems in this world are... Um, not based on grace. Most of them are based on law. Most of them are legalistic. Most of them are about what you achieve, what you accomplish. That what, that's what makes you acceptable as a person. This unexpected message says this. Jesus came into the world not to save the best people. Jesus came into the world to save the most broken people. Jesus didn't come into the world to, to schmooze with the, the higher-ups in society. He came and he sat with sinners. He came and he said, who needs a physician? I am that physician coming to heal. It's a very unexpected message. It's a message that says, you know, Jesus is uh, incredibly glorious. And yet, as someone who is so glorious, he dies one of the most humiliating, shameful deaths, not only from a human perspective, but even from his father's perspective because he bore our sin upon himself. He took our place. See, that is, that is the heart of the gospel. And God is doing unexpected things all the time. I would actually say not unexpected. He goes beyond our expectations all the time. Uh, and maybe we don't see it in our context, but globally, he is. I don't know if you've ever read anything about the Iranian church. Who would have thought like the Iranian church would be one of the fastest growing uh, uh, churches in the world? But it is. Why? I don't know. God just did it. <laughs> Often without intermediaries like missionaries. Sometimes through visions. Sometimes through just them uh, like a, a Muslim reading the Bible. It's incredible. My point is this, um, it's the same spirit. So when we go through the book of Acts and we see all these incredible things, uh, it's the same Holy Spirit that's at work today. And regardless of what we see or experience, at the end of the day, we're called to just be a witness and testify to this Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit decides to work and move, he will. When he convicts and changes hearts, he will. My suspicion, though, is 
it's not the Holy Spirit that is refusing to work. My suspicion is we are just, uh, we got our own issues and we're in our own heads and we don't want to share it. <laughs> That's my suspicion. Uh, take a step of faith and try and see what happens. And uh, God might do something unexpected. That's a season I want us to go in in the next couple years, build a heart of mission. Because that's why, that's why we exist as Good News Church here in New York City, to be a people in mission. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you that we can explore this incredible um, book in the book of Acts. And I guess the one thing I pray is that as we read about it, we wouldn't simply see it as like a document that was written 2,000 years ago about work that you did 2,000 years ago, but we would see it as a living document testifying to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit um, in building up your church and expanding your church. And I pray, God, that you would grow in us this deep conviction that uh, it's the same Holy Spirit who works even today and that you would deepen our, our sense of your presence, of your power, of your work, that you would be the one to give us uh, boldness and courage to overcome uh, our fears and our insecurities. Um, but you would give us a deep, uh, a deep conviction that you are alive and at work today. And uh, perhaps you'll surprise us. And when you surprise us and uh, we get to witness uh, your power at work in uh, someone's life, that that in turn would build within us a, a deeper faith that we can trust in your work, your power, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.